C-Note here, and welcome to C-Note FM, the show that is like poking the Pillsbury Doughboy's stomach. It's a lot of fun, a little ridiculous. Uh, Christian Rivera here, your host, the guy, the man with the plan, the person, the human. Uh, that's what I am. I happen to also be a male, so in case you were curious. Uh, today on the show, I have Carrie Miller. Who joins me? She is a post-divorce specialist. We do something a little bit different today, where she kind of helps me through my situation. I ask her some questions about who she is and what she does, and uh, we take the opportunity to talk through some of my personal stuff. And she helps me through some things. We kind of do a discovery call, and she shares a little bit about what she does. So, without further ado, this is my talk with Carrie Miller. Drums, please. Oh, I heard the noise. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You sound clear as day. It's fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's good news. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing well. I'm excited to have this conversation. Me too. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. I'm I'm excited to do this and excited to share your expertise with the people. Um, so we're already recording, which is fine because I like to treat this as like kind of a, just a talk show, and we just we just have at it. So um, uh, basically, if you would like to give your synopsis, your spiel, your thing, your 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 John, like as to, <laughs> to who you are. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. I am a, a woman that's been there, done that, and then some. Um, I've had <laughs> several full careers already and um, had life kick the hell out of me, too. So I come by my lessons very honestly. Um, but what I do is I specialize in relationships mm-hmm. with an emphasis on post-divorce recovery, just because... Mm-hmm. It's an area that not a lot of people are um, comfortable with at times right. because when you're going through it, it's it feels like you're alone a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I explain that because when you are um, when you suffer a death or one of those kinds of losses in life, you kind of have people that gather around you and are a huge support to you at least for a while. Mm-hmm. And in the in a divorce you tend to have that at first and then people kind of move on with their lives a bit quicker because it's almost a judgment kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. A stigma. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely yeah. a stigma with it where people kind of make judgments on, Oh, well, I saw that coming, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's, it's like, it's a personality. Um, oh, what do you call that? Like a personality flaw or something mm-hmm. in one or the two of the people. Right. So for me, having been through it, suffered through it really honestly and alone, it was one of those areas in my heart. I was like, I never want anyone to ever feel this alone or feel as alone as I did, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Right. So for me, it's an area that I'm like, hey, listen, I'm willing to tackle the stigma. I'm willing to be there for people that don't necessarily have someone that will understand their side. Mm hmm. 
And when I'm talking to someone, I'm not worried about what their ex is doing. I have no interest in that at all. Mm -hmm. What my focus is, is what are you doing? What are you, you know, how are we working to get you where you want to go? Because honestly, that's the only thing you have any um, influence over anyway, right? Is yourself. Right. Exactly. That's, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. So while we can dive in and we do a lot of, um, you know, internal work and lessons and we look at insecurities and fears and definitely your story. You have to kind of get that out and grieve it. But that's yeah. definitely that can't be forever your focus, if that makes sense. No, you have to find the tools. And it seems like you give people the tools to be able to both move on in a healthy way, but also perhaps regain some of the uh, social acuity uh, that comes with you know, the, the post-divorce process that you might lose a little bit, you might kind of become a bit uh, recluse and just kind of like, because you're dealing with such heavy things, you might separate yourself from friends and family, especially those who are stigmatizing you. And, you know, it seems like maybe, maybe you allow them to get back into that place as well. Well, giving you permission to have your autonomy mm-hmm. and giving you permission to really fully dive into your own personality. Because for a time when you are first divorced, you're still a couple, even, you know, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, you're still one of two. Mm -hmm. And so there's a time that has to go by where you let go of and grieve that relationship. And then the second part of that is who the hell am I without that person? And that's really where the the huge growth comes in. And a lot of people don't feel like or feel guilty for And that's why I give the permission to say, listen, you can move on. I'm giving you permission. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's make your life pretty badass, you know? Right. Uh, Just to, if you don't mind me asking if you were, when you were going through your situation and um, you started to realize you were feeling very alone in this, did you seek out people to connect to, or did you start kind of coming up with, with tools to deal with this and that essentially led to what you're doing now like how how would how was that you know, process what's so funny is when i was going through it um first of all i didn't know that you could be in pain like that and not be dead i hurt mm-hmm. so bad i felt like my skin had been ripped off and i was being dunked in alcohol that's the best i can explain mm-hmm. it and um mm-hmm. so i was really learning a lot about just pain my god what the hell is this and so at that time i right. was ultra ultra christian and so all I would do is sit with the Bible because I didn't know what else to do. And I would flip through right. and I would try to find passages of like something that would make sense to me. And there just wasn't anything. And I would go to church and I would try to get, you know, someone to talk to or whatever. And that would satisfy an hour or two. But what did I do the mm-hmm. other seven days of the week and the rest of the hours that were there? You know? Mm-hmm. And so what I started realizing is, you know, and I kept hearing time. Time heals, time heals. And yes, time is a great healer, but it's not necessarily a good teacher. Does that make sense? Yeah, you have to do something with that time. Yeah, so I started, well, I've always been fascinated with people. That's always been a calling of mine. But I started reading Mm -hmm. even more books, and I started listening to anything I could get my hands on. And one of the things that I'm really, really big on, I don't like to use, look at the truth because truth is subjective, right? But it's Mm -hmm. very important Mm -hmm. for me to always encourage people to approach things very black and white. 
and it keeps you from taking on too much of the blame, but it allows you to really take a good look at what has happened, where am I now, and where do I want to go? So it's not, you know, if you lose someone, it's not, oh my God, I'm unlovable, no one's going to love me again. Okay, well, what's the black and white truth? He just didn't love me anymore. Okay, now that you can handle, and it's a smaller piece, and you're able to eat that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's almost like, um, I don't want to say reductively, like looking at it, but some form of that, like you're simplifying the, 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 the complex emotions that are coming with all of these things. Like that's kind of what I've been doing naturally, because my, my listeners know that I've been going through a divorce. And, um, and part of what we can do mm-hmm. on this call is kind of do a discovery Absolutely. call to, to sort of share your process. And I'm more than happy to be as open as possible with everything. Um, but uh, for me, it's been like finding ways to simplify everything down to its core essential as to like, why did this fail? Why did I, why am I calling it a failure? Why, you know, like things like that um, uh, to, to really kind of help myself process, realize what that truth is, quote unquote, and then move forward. I, I think that makes really good sense to reduce it down to Absolutely. black and white. Absolutely. Making it black and white. And listen, part of that discovery process is discovering patterns, you know, are, are there things in, in you or slash, you know, all of us that we do that we've done or that we've watched and seen over time. Right. And so the biggest part of all of that in my personal belief is forgiveness and it's forgiveness of other people and it's forgiveness of yourself. And that's such a a crazy word because people don't necessarily understand what it means to forgive. They think it means that you're not going to be mad anymore, or they think it means that, um, you know, that what people have done to you is okay. And so it's a mindset and mind shift that needs to happen in order to move on. A reframe, reframe. Yeah. Reframe. That's a good way to put it. Um, what what is often the what do you feel is the most difficult part of the process in terms of because um, uh, people are the variable essentially everyone's got a everyone's got a different situation everyone's got a different thought process uh, how they how they process things or different emotional states um, do you feel there is a there's a commonality in in the most difficult part of the process for someone uh, going through a post through this post-divorce process, um, what's the most difficult thing that people have trouble with uh, getting through? Well, one of the things that I like to do is reframe it so that you can say that there is a a healing process, right? Instead of, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. when you um, lose someone, whether it's death or divorce or whatever, you go through stages. Well, I like to really keep that process a healthy one. And so I call it a healing process. But things that people almost always deal with that are the same like guilt and shame, especially if you're the one that's left because you feel like everybody's Mm -hmm. watching you and judging you and, oh, my God, if I had only done this or this differently. And then the the next big thing is blame. Who's to blame here, Mm -hmm. you know? And it seems like we as people need to find a way to blame somebody in the situation in order for us to be okay. And it's It's more healthy to look at the situation and say, look, it happened. 
both people are at blame. I took 75 or 80% of the blame for a very long time. And then I realized I can't do that. It's not 75 or 80% my fault. And I kept going back and thinking, if I could only change this, if I could only change that. And that's the part where I really learned about forgiveness. Was there, um, was there, was there anything beyond, um, beyond, I, I don't want to say simply because it, uh, again, I don't want no, to sound reductive. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there anything beyond, you know, your own experiences that you started to look into in order to sort of hone your craft and learn more about uh, becoming an expert in this field? Did you talk to more people? Did you talk to other experts? Um, uh, uh, how did you start to gain more knowledge? Absolutely. This? Well, like I said, with reading all the books I did, with listening and any kind of um, any kind of like certifications or, and I also went to school for counseling, but I tried mm-hmm. very hard just to get to the bottom of the feelings because the feelings were what, what was keeping me from moving forward. And then I mentioned mm-hmm. like forgiveness. And so people have the hardest time. Generally they can say, okay, I can forgive the other person, but they have the hardest time forgiving themselves. And so what I finally mm-hmm. figured out was the key to forgiving yourself. Do you want mm-hmm. to know what that is? Yes. <laughs> keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat quite literally. <laughs> so forgiveness of yourself is looking back and saying, okay, who was I at that point? Who was I? Even if it was a week ago, who was I a week ago? If I took my person today, if I took me today with those lessons that I've learned from that, would I make that same decision again with my current knowledge? And if you can look Mm -hmm. back at that situation and say, no, I wouldn't make those same decisions with this knowledge, then guess what? You have to forgive that person that you were because they did the best that they could with the information that Mm -hmm. they had. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting uh, uh, part of the process is is realizing that the person you are now is not the per- like we give that forgiveness to ourselves when in other areas of life, or at least a lot of people I feel they do, you know, we, we look at in a more obvious span of time, like when you were 12 years old versus when you're 30 years old, like I was 12 and I liked something that was clearly nerdy and not great. Right. <laughs> or, uh, you know, like your obsession with Saved by the Bell might not be <laughs> as great as a 30 year old, even though, I don't know, maybe it is, who knows. Um, but we, we forgive ourselves for that sort of thing. Like, oh, I was just being super nerdy or I made a, even with more serious things, like, uh, you know, say you were 15 years old and you shoplifted and you don't do that right. anymore. But, you know, the person you were as a kid would probably do that again. Exactly. <laughs> so your person today, your current person has the benefit of all the lessons of your previous person. And you have to be gentle with that previous person because that's your learner. That person is going through life learning so that your current person, if you are healing and if you are wise, pays attention to those lessons. Otherwise, that poor past person is just acting for no reason. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. So if you can look at a situation and say, at that time, that person that I was with the information that I had, I was doing the best that I fucking could. If you can look at that and say that, and if you can even say, if I went back with that same information, I'd probably do the damn same thing again. Then how can you not Mm -hmm. forgive your previous person? And see, once you can look at it like that, then it's like, all right, 
I can let go of that because damn it, I'm better now today. I'm a better person today. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) It's the way I look at it. You sound like a preacher there. That was great. Yeah, I guess so, huh? Praising at the altar of Carrie. Just the altar of life, man, the altar of pain. The altar of pain in life, like real stuff that we all have to go through. And, 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 you know, I think this is great because specifically post-divorce, you don't hear a lot of people, or at least I haven't experienced, even though I'm going through it. I haven't had people come to me and say like, you know, I've gone through a divorce and I've, I talked to this person or I talked to that person. It was, it was always something that I hear people going through by themselves or nearly by themselves. Um, so it's really nice that you have this uh, uh, this ability to help people and connect well, with people and not make them feel Well, it wrong. sucks because, well, not sucks, but for me, I'm a real Chris as far as like if someone, so, and that was a lot of the reason why I went through a lot of it alone. I did, people say the most stupid shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when, when someone yes. dies, they make, you know, and they're trying, right? They're trying to help you, but they say stupid shit. And when you're in that much pain, the last thing that I, and I'm sure you want to hear, is someone giving me that ridiculous, well, you know, time. All you need is time. Fuck off. You're going home to your wife or your husband. You don't understand how lonely this is. You know what I'm saying? So for Mm -hmm. me, I needed to talk to people that knew what the hell I was talking about. If you've not been in pain, you can't give advice well you can but let's be honest it's not genuine right so for me that's important too is to be able to say listen i get you i've been there i won't go back in that pain with you but let me tell you i understand yeah right there was there's a previous episode on my podcast that uh i talked about this concept about uh the podcast is titled no one cares Uh and it is it is it is an attempt at me at reframing kind of literally what you were just talking about, where you could talk to people and they'll often try to give you advice only from their experiences because that's what they know or from what they've been taught. So a lot of the times it can be recycled garbage, like that whole like, oh, give it time thing. It's not actually a unique thought that someone has. That's something that they've heard before and they know that that's something that they're supposed to say in that scenario. They're not actually being helpful um, in that in that situation, so this concept of no one caring is really a means for at least in the way that I was framing it to try to get people to take more um, more more professional steps or more more legit steps i suppose uh, to helping themselves, whether that means going to therapy or speaking to a post divorce specialist or some situation where you're genuinely helping yourself and not just shooting the shit with someone at a coffee shop and hearing what you want to hear or just hearing what, you know, things that they're reciting over and over again to you, because that's not actually helpful to you. You need to kind of find someone who will more so objectively care because that's their job and you're paying them to help you. I guess that's what I was trying to say. People, their Um, lives are, you know, I mean, taking on someone else's pain It's something that you really have to, not taking on someone else's pain, that's not right. Being able to empathize um, genuinely with someone is something that has to be a decision. Because let's be honest, most people, they just want to go to work, you know, come home, 
put on their pajamas, watch their favorite show, rinse and repeat. They don't want to take on other people's stuff. And so really they're like, oh, is something wrong? And they're thinking, fuck, you know, like, don't, don't tell me something's wrong. Just tell me you're fine and move on. You know, they have to believe that you're okay so that they don't have to kind of deal with it. And it's not necessarily that people are selfish. It's just not their thing. It's not their, right. you know, I don't, my calling isn't to work with, um, you know, people that have lost a loved one necessarily. I can, but that's not where my, my heart lies, you know? So it's fine. You are absolutely right. Find the people, you know, and when I was going through it, I couldn't find anybody. Like I really couldn't. I was so alone in the city that I was in. I had moved there with my ex. I didn't know anybody. Um, and really it was 2009, 2010. And so Facebook was out, but it wasn't as big as it is now where there are groups. I mean, there are so many things and resources now where people can go and actually kind of be in community. I couldn't find any of that stuff when I was going through it. So things and times have changed and that is a huge benefit actually. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, really is. Um, so, so I think, I think we can start to yeah. transition to kind of telling you a little bit about, um, Please. my situation. What's interesting about, so to, to kind of preface with like who I am, I'm usually like, I kind of pride myself on being a fairly self-aware person. Um, and which is why I feel like I can do this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, there's definitely plenty of things where. I feel like I'm doing well. And then I get to a different point where I don't feel like I'm doing very well. Um, so, and there's a lot of, um, I don't know. I, I want to say there are a lot of unique things that are going on, certainly. but you know, you've no, heard a lot no, of things. Certainly. Everybody um, has their own unique pieces of the pie. That's absolutely. Um, that's totally honest. Right. So with me as a person, I've dealt with manic depression since mm -hmm. I was a kid, um, which, uh, more recently was diagnosed as a cyclothymia, which is like a low grade bipolar disorder. It affects my moods. Uh, and essentially I go from a depressive state to a manic state uh, in kind of an unpredictable cycle. It is cyclical. Like it kind of goes from one to the other, but um, sometimes it can be triggered by things. Sometimes it uh, uh, can kind of manifest on its own for no real reason. And um, really that feeling like for a long time, I felt like when I was in Philly, which is where I'm from. So, so to kind of give you the, the, the basic, actually, I'll give you the, the, the more of the story of the, the voice yeah. itself, right? Real quick. Um, so right now I'm in the midst of the divorce. The divorce will be final in April. Um, and she's currently pregnant with my child who will also be born in April. Uh, so legally I'm looking into how that's going to be. Um, she's not allowing me to have any sort of involvement with the child. So that's where the legal stuff kind of comes in and doesn't even want me on the birth certificate, that sort of stuff. Um, and essentially the cause for the divorce was a combination of years of uh, emotional abuse from her and then my poor reaction to it. And that sort of combination didn't really allow us to communicate well. And uh, we had poor communication throughout the relationship. Um, can you still hear me? I kind of hear oh, that absolutely. going in and out. I hear you perfectly. Okay. Okay. Um, so 
to kind of go back, like I was saying, with my cyclothymia, because uh, uh, that was sort of the impetus for me. That was really the launching point for the divorce, which was my going to therapy because I felt like something was wrong with me. We were at a point where we we got married, um, and after that, I had gotten essentially I got caught talking to someone, uh, sharing emotionally and uh, uh, sexual conversations um, with someone else, and after that, we went to therapy. We went to 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 couples therapy and uh not soon after that uh which the the couples therapy was terrible it it was basically like pointing fingers at me (laughs) the whole time and wasn't really wasn't really helpful for our divorce uh, for our marriage (laughs) (laughs) it was really bad it was like the therapist first of all the therapist was like it it was late in the day so she wanted to go home you you can tell (laughs) and so we were scheduled for like uh, half an hour and it was probably like 15 minutes <laughs> and, and she would have us like fill out these worksheets and we never actually went through them basically she gave us like a five-week beginner thing and she was trying to just sell us on mm. more time as opposed to actually helping us within the time frame that we wanted to you know really get some help um, and the therapist was just kind of looking at me like like, you're not stupid. Why are you not communicating? Why are you not this? And I'm like, there's a lot going on that you don't see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, it's it's going to be kind of difficult to explain really all the nuances that I've kind of broken down. So like you said, it's kind of interesting to simplify everything. So if I can simplify it down to its core, um, I started going to therapy for my bipolar disorder because I felt like I was going crazy that I was unhappy in this situation where I had moved from Philadelphia to San Diego. I had a beautiful wife. I had a great house. I had a good job. I had everything going for me in both my eyes and the eyes of everyone around me. And I was still miserable. Um, there was no communication within our marriage. Um, very, very little or very stoic communication. And, um, it was very, there was, there was a lot of belittling on her part and there was a, just a lot of kind of keeping me in my place as it were. Um, and there was a lot of accommodations that I made. We lived with her mother. Well, actually her mother lived with us, her mother, niece, nephew, and three dogs lived with us. And I hated all of that. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> that was a very difficult situation. Um, and we were at the point where we were starting to think about having kids. Um, so I went to therapy because I was like very concerned with, with my mental state being a part of you know, raising children. I didn't want it to be a problem. So I went to go get professional help. And through that, I started realizing that my marriage was what the problem was, that there was a reason I kept seeking out, um, emotional connections outside of my marriage. I was feeling incredibly isolated because I couldn't make friends in San Diego and I wasn't allowed to really talk to my friends back in Philly um, because there was a lot of like looking over my shoulder and checking what I was doing all the time. And I I just didn't have room to breathe. Uh, I couldn't go home to Philly to visit. And it was, uh, uh, there was just a lot of that sort of thing. So eventually what led to the divorce after a year of therapy and let's say July of last year, the divorce 
let's say the separation was like September, September 19th ish that happened. So that was the kind of impetus, uh, was the moment. And then July, the previous July was when I started, I had a new job. I was starting to get to know my coworkers who were very emotionally supportive. They were really great people. I was starting to get to know, um, people that I was doing improv with which were very great supportive people. And then I was starting to connect with a lot of people on anchor, including, including Molly who I'm with now. And uh, a lot of people who were just very supportive and understanding of my mental health issues and things that I go through and um, my perspective in life. So it was really that contrast of, of getting that such great support from right. people that, realized that I was not getting that, at home at all. Uh, so really after a few months of that and a couple of really big moments where, you know, my wife was being terrible to me, and I was realizing it uh, and being more aware of it, that I was really taking stock of it. And then there was just kind of one big moment of accusations and, um, you know, uh, crazy. I don't want to like, I don't like to use the word crazy. I don't like calling her crazy, but um an intense amount of like text messages and um, poking and prodding. And I, I just decided she, uh, she made the suggestion we should separate. We should get a divorce. And I said, yes. Cause you, she usually, she said that in the past where she would say, we should do this. We should get a divorce. We should separate. Um, and it was always a ploy for me to be like, no, no, I love you. I want to still be with you. And, or at least that was my assumption. And she she did it this time and i just said yeah you're right we should split up and then i i packed up and i left i put my stuff into storage i stayed in a hotel for uh, a few weeks and then i decided to move back to the east coast as i was talking to molly throughout that time and decided to come back here and get support from family and friends instead of being alone in san diego which i thought was a smart move on my part Definitely. <laughs> and and uh, get become closer to family and friends and have access to Molly. And she's been amazing in the growth process as well. So that's kind of the gist of the story. <laughs> There's a lot. I feel like I was talking a lot, no. but that's, that's what's going on. And she's pregnant with my child. And when is the baby due? Uh, Baby's due in April when the divorce is final in April. Wow. Right. Okay. That's serendipitous. Um, so is this woman, how long were you married? Uh, two years, two and a half years. You were married two and a half years. Um, we were together for. You were together for how long? Um, one more time. It breaks up. We were together oh, for seven, seven years okay. total. Yeah, it yeah. broke up every time you said seven. Um. <laughs> Okay, so this woman that you were with five years prior was she um, was she pretty awesome? Like, I mean, you fell in love with her, so yeah, uh, she was. You know, she was really good for. In retrospect, it felt like the relationship was really good for a good three years okay, or so. Um, and then we had basically from then on. There was a couple of, there was two instances specifically where I started to look uh, like elsewhere for emotional support, not really look 
it, it's not something that I like realized I was doing until I was like in it. But um, there was a situation with an old friend of mine where I kind of got close to her emotionally. And then um, my wife found those text messages and that became a trust issue within us. And then um, another instance after I got married as well. Um, but before then there was also moments where literally when I got to San Diego, so I, I guess I should give you a little bit more detail. Um, so we, we met at the end of 2008 through a mutual friend and then started talking for about six months. Uh, I went to San Diego to visit in the summer of 2009 for a week, which I felt like was one of the best weeks of my life. Loved it. Had so much fun. She was great. Um, she has an irreverence about her that I really appreciate. Like she just doesn't give a <laughs> shit about what, it, what people think. And like, she's a rad, like even to this day, I feel like she's a rad person. Like I, I don't talk ill of her. If anything, I talk ill of like our relationship, you know, like, we just, it was, it was our dynamic that failed, not necessarily her as a person. Like she's rad um, or me as a person. I'm also rad. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, summer 2009, I, I met up with her and we, you know, we kept talking when I came back, she spent a few months in on the East coast. So she was going between, she lived uh, in San Diego. She was born there and was going to college there but she spent a lot of time on the East coast because her mom lived there. Her parents were separated um, from when she was little. Uh, her mom lived on the East coast. She would often spend like a few months at a time on the East coast. So she came back to the East coast uh, fall of 2009 for the rest of the year. And then went back to San Diego in January. Um, and it was January 2010 that I decided that I was going to move to San Diego. So I started saving money for about 10 months. And it was really that first summer of 2010 when she came back to visit, came back to the East Coast to visit um, just to see her family, that I got this kind of strange feeling that she just wasn't as excited to see me as she was the last time. Um, and this is totally just like my sort of instinct. There was really no like reason for it, but there was just something about like something about the dynamic that just didn't feel as like natural then. And that's pretty early for that to happen. But I think also I pushed through a lot of our relationship and marriage because I was never, I was never a guy that got a lot of attention from women. So I always put a lot of extra effort and I always felt like I just need to try harder. I just need to do more. Um, and even in retrospect, you know, our relationship was not necessarily founded on the idea that we liked each other a lot. I liked her and I think she grew to like me, but I think I, I think I made her like me, <laughs> if that makes yeah. any sense. Um, you know, I, I, you know, flowers and gifts and talking and giving her attention and, all of that stuff. And she eventually like, turned her attention to me and, and, you know, said like, okay, let's do this. Um, which I think eventually led to, you know, me realizing that, that there was no actual like love and respect for me. Eventually it was, it was just that I was constantly giving her attention. Uh, and she liked that when I decided to kind of slow down with that in order to like kind of test how she felt about me in a way, um, it didn't really uh, pan out. So anyway, go back, going back to the timeline. Let me ask um, you real quick. 
What did she do when you pulled back on your attention? Uh, so she, so this was actually a suggestion from my therapist uh-huh. Uh-huh. at the time that, that we do kind of like a social experiment for the week where I was essentially, well, actually this happened a little bit before that, sorry, um, where I started to kind of pull back on my attention um, because of, you know, I was kind of seeing that and she started to become a lot more irritable towards me. She literally, she flat out said to me that she's just angry at me all the time. She doesn't like being around me. Um, She felt like I was always doing something stupid. She treated me as if I was stupid. Um, uh, I don't really have a good example of that, but it was just a lot of her wording and, um, and the, and the way she would talk to me is very, very much talking down to me. Um, so do you think, would you say that she had anger? Like not, but like she would get angry. She would get angry. She would get irritable. Um, and it was often just associated with the attention I would or would not yeah, give her. My, my most recent therapist has suggested that she may have borderline personality disorder, which is something that I've also um, ascertained as a possibility. But again, you know, I have no diagnosis. So, um, but, but a lot of those behaviors, if you're familiar at all with that personality disorder, kind of fall in line with who she is um, and, and what that relationship has been like. So once we started to kind of, once I started doing that and I started talking to my therapist about it, my therapist suggested that I take a week to be the perfect husband, essentially, just to kind of test the contrast um, to, to really see if this is like what, what it was like to to kind of gauge where she was, what she wants from me and what we want from each other. Um, Because we, we, I tried to have, we tried to have those conversations where um, you basically try to find out what what you want out of this marriage, what you want out of life, things like that. And we just, we failed at communicating pretty miserably. So we couldn't really um, get to that point. So I I did this social experiment where I was the perfect husband for the week. And um, actually, sorry, I keep, I keep missing little details that are important. Um, uh, So right before this social experiment, um, I had told my therapist that I suggested that my wife was being somewhat emotionally manipulative. Um, and the reason that I noticed this was she would do this thing where she would stop in the hallway and pucker her lips and wait for me to kiss her. And I kind of, I had this moment where I stopped and I was like, huh, this is interesting. And I thought back and I was like, there's really not a lot of times where she would just randomly show me affection, kiss me on the cheek or cuddle with me or hold my hand. It was always something where I was giving affection to her. It was always like an 80, 20 deal, mm-hmm. you know, 80, 80% of, of, of my effort for her 20%, I would even say 10. And so she would pucker her lips and basically wait for me to go kiss her. And, uh, uh, to contrast that, if I would do the same, not the same, but if I would go into the kitchen while she was cooking or something and I'd peek around and try to give her a kiss, she wouldn't pucker her lips. She wouldn't kiss back, um, which I thought was both maddening and fascinating at the same time. Which, uh, which so I brought this when you did that? 
she wasn't irritated, but um, she was more like just stoic. She did look irritated, but um, there was no reason at the time for her to be irritated. No immediate reason. Um, you know, it was just we were going through our day and she was cooking and she was even in a good mood, you know, talking to her mom and, and seemed like she was in a good mood, which is why I felt like I could go and give her a kiss. Otherwise I would probably leave her alone. So when, you, when you went <laughs> um, to give her a kiss, did she like make a face or was she just like completely ambivalence? Complete okay. ambivalence. Just, <laughs> just, just no reaction. Barely even acknowledged that mm-hmm. I did it. Okay. Which was, which was, I felt extremely strange. Uh, and this happened a few times. This was happening for a little while, but the since I actually started noticing it, 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 it happened a few times. And that's when I brought it up to my therapist, which is when we decided to do the experiments where I would, she would pucker up and, uh, you know, do the kiss thing. And then I would do that. I would, I'd kiss her. I'd give her everything she wanted. I gave her physical attention. I gave her gifts. I gave her, uh, uh, intense communication way more than I was naturally willing to give. Um, and, uh, it was a situation where it, I was starting to see positive results. She was being more affectionate to me. She was starting to be more um, sexual with me. It was more uh, she like everything just got turned on and she was like very happy with it. Um, and then the next week I went back to normal. I didn't go less than normal. I just went back to normal. I went back to the normal amount of affection and not that I wasn't showing any affection before. It was just not so, not so romantic comedy (laughs) as it were it was it was more more everyday life and um she noticed the difference she literally by day two of the following week she was like what's going on this is a big change like are you and and started going to this point of like feeling like i was hiding something and i was flat out with her i said like no i wanted to see like what you would be like if what the, what the difference was like. Um, and she essentially crashed and was more angry at me than ever. <laughs> and, Do you um, know why? I don't know why. I, I, my assumption is that she just wants uh, an insane amount of, not insane, but a, a more attention than normal, more attention than I was willing to give. And it didn't feel natural to me. It was very, felt very forced and she had a lot of specific sort of things that she wanted, you know, very guidelines as to like how to talk to her, when to talk to her, um, you know, when she wanted gifts, when she wanted physical attention. Um, and even with the, you know, sexual stuff, it was always kind of um, ambiguous as to like when it was okay or when it wasn't okay to try to make something sexy happen because she 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 didn't really put the effort towards me very much. I always had to be the initiator. And like, sometimes even when it felt like it was obvious, it wasn't. And she would get mad at me or it was like, she was gaslighting me sexually. It was weird. Um, um, in that so, case, when it came out that you were just doing it for a week and you said she crashed, I would venture a guess to believe that she was pretty mad that she had been lied to and in a way manipulated back. Okay, which, which I is understand. unfortunate yeah. because then it's not about what it actually is about. 
And that therapist that suggested that to you, I question that motive and that way of doing it because that's exactly what would happen. <laughs> like, that's not a good way to, I mean, does that make sense? Like, that's actually not helping you in that case to suggest you do something like that other than for your own edification in the process. But then that, that stops the growth for both of you. But I had a question for you. Did she know? Sure. Did she know what you wanted? I mean, were you open and saying, "Listen, I want more of this, and I want more sex, or I want more emotional support"? Did she know those things? Yes, okay. I was very okay. vocal and very, very open. Um, it was, uh, you know, and that's something I questioned about myself uh, in the present as it relates to the past, like. Did I ask enough? Did I talk enough? Did I say enough? And I feel that I did. Um, it, yeah, if she knew. If she knew it, that that was something you wanted, then you're, you're, yeah, you did fine. I was just curious if you actually said that or not. <clears throat> you know, it, was, it was always difficult because, you know, throughout the course of our relationship, um, you know, sometimes what I said mattered, but ultimately, like, if she wanted something bigger or deeper than that i i was you know and i was more more than willing to bend for her um in many situations so essentially like how we ended up in a situation where like her mother and niece and nephew and three dogs lived with us was you know a series of of guilting and coercing and saying like you know i i would express that i did not want this or that it would that that i'm happy to help them but i want it to be a temporary thing and temporary turned out to be five plus years. So, you know, her sister started moving in first and I objected, um, but she pushed and basically threatened to leave me. So I decided to go with it. And essentially every step of the way, it was like, either you go with this or that's it. We're done. And where, where so is your dad? Want to <clears throat> dad is in San Diego. Um, does so she have a good relationship does, with him? Yeah, she has a very good relationship with her dad. Um, she adores him. He's a good man. Uh, he essentially has this, he has this interesting sort of relationship where he'll come over every Thursday and do yard work at the house and kind of help out. He's a very, um, he's a very acts of service kind of guy. Huh. Um, so he'll be very attentive uh you know, give a lot of love. And um, he, he was in a situation where um, him and my wife's mother, they got divorced fairly young. He was, he's a kind of guy that makes a lot of terrible jokes. Um, so he had a, he had a, he had a stroke years after the divorce. Um, and he, he would make a lot of really before then he would make a lot of like really terrible jokes. Like he supposedly like jokingly chased um, my wife's mother around with like a knife around the house as like a ha 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 sort of thing. And that's when she decided to leave. Gotcha. So good times. Um, so, but, but he's a, you know, despite that stuff, he's a good dude. I like him. Um, and he's very supportive in, in uh, my wife's life. So a couple of things, just because <clears throat> I know we're probably running out of time here, but the things that I have heard in what you've said, um, 
I definitely see the different dichotomy. I mean, it's, it's, I kind of understand not what happened, but see both sides. And for her, some of her activities and some of her things, and one of the things I want, I would like to express is that it not be so much or so important as far as giving somebody a label, like people, like the, you know, the, borderline personality disorder or whatever, because here's the thing, whether it's you or whether it's somebody else owning that kind of stuff can actually be very detrimental because society likes us to put everything in a box. When I look at what's happening with her, that may be what the psychologists and and counselors and things want to call it. But to me, I see that she was definitely afraid of abandonment. Is that, is that fair? That's absolutely true. Now, one of the things that someone that's deathly afraid of being abandoned is, is that they are constantly wanting you to reprove that you love them. And it's not mm-hmm. that they don't love you. They are so fucking afraid of you figuring out that they're a normal person, that they will do absolutely everything in their power to keep you from discovering that. And it's not that they're a bad person. It's not that and their things may be toxic that they're doing. You know, and and obviously in her case and in many people's cases, it is. It's a very toxic behavior. But that fear of being left makes people like that almost want to become ambivalent, but they're not. And the thing is with anger, like when she would act angry towards you, do you know what anger hides every single time and twice on Sunday? Hurt. Please do. Hurt. Hurt. (laughs) Uh, hurt because people mm -hmm. with anger problems I don't care whether it's someone in traffic that's been cut off and they get ragey it's because they're hurt that now in the case where say let's a dude and he's been cut off in traffic and he's acting like a crazy person it's because at that moment he feels disrespected if you feel disrespected you get your feelings hurt but see a big man and a tough guy is not going to be able to relate to that right But if you can find the people that get angry or get pissed off or whatever, whatever, if you can peel back those layers, there's a big bunch of festering hurt underneath of that. Now, as a partner, it's not necessarily your, your responsibility to fix that for the person. But if you had had that tool back then and you could have, you know, if you knew that, but the thing is, it's got to be. So you guys were dealing with a bunch of different things and it wasn't, and I love the fact that you said that she's an awesome person and all of those things, because that right there is huge healthy because recognize, and you were probably drawn to her and I'm making a lot of assumptions, but just my intuitiveness, that's just kind of what I do. But I bet you were drawn to her because she was a lot of the things you weren't. She was outgoing. She didn't necessarily, she seemed like she was tougher than nails. Yes. Yeah, she, yeah, absolutely. She seemed like if there was a problem or something needed to be handled, like she could do it. Like she could not be, um, what is the, like bulletproof basically. Okay, Great. so how has she been now that this has all come about? Is she still as bulletproof? Um, yes, basically uh, the best way that I can put it is that she she completely turned on me, um, as of course. Uh, Does but, she look back? Um, 
She no, there's, no, there's been, it's, it's, it's interesting because her, her expression of, of um, basically everything after it happened, like literally within the first few weeks, there was really no signs of like, you know, I love you. We need to work on this. I want you back and, and nothing like that. It was a lot of guilt. Like you're leaving your pregnant wife. Mm-hmm. You're leaving me. Uh, you're leaving this long relationship. You, 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 you're doing this, you're doing that. Why do you keep doing this to me? Like that she's sort of using, thing. She's yeah. using what had worked before. Guilt, right. guilt and all of those kinds of things. She's trying because see, she doesn't have the emotional um, wisdom and the, she doesn't have the, this marriage to look back on yet. Does it, and, and it's such a, right. a crappy thing to say, but like in, in, the process of divorce, hopefully, you know, because it's unfortunate, right? The, the whole thing's just unfortunate on any time it happens is both people have to take that inventory of what did I do wrong? Not wrong, but wrong. Okay. And it's right. not about everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's right, right. what areas have I fucked up? What areas could I have done better? What did I take for granted? What did I not notice? And those are the things as you move on in your, in your relationship, even with Molly, um, that you're able to do better. And I think you guys already are like, I just think that the openness and the ability that you guys have to talk just with what you've been saying is, is incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's obviously, you know, asking for the things that you need, you know, and, and being open and feeling like you're able to talk to somebody. Um, and that's huge. That really is huge. And the thing is with people that, and that's what I, uh, it's hard to explain, but that's why it's very important for me to hear what you said about her not being a bad person necessarily, because in the end, and it's something I say a lot, we all have our journey, right? And you just don't know what she's going to be like in 10 years when she's looked back on everything and taken accountability, hopefully, for the pieces of this that she um, could have done better. You know, right. and, and then in 10 years, what you look like when you've looked back and figured that out, because that some people, <clears throat> Christian, don't have the ability to look back honestly at their life. And those people end up doing the same shit over and over and over and over again. It, they're going to end yep. up marrying the same person again. They're going to end up dating the same people again. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's the way it goes. And it's because life is saying, hey, listen, you've got to get this piece. And if you don't get this piece, we're going to keep giving it to you until you do, you know? Um, And that's unfortunate, right? But the thing is, she is dealing and doing and responding the best way that she knows how, which is not saying that she's doing a great job or that she's, you know, uh, whatever. It's just that we as people do that. So when you're able to look and say, okay, she's on her journey, I don't know what part that she's going to get to, but I know what part she's played in my journey so far. And then you're Mm -hmm. able to say, okay, you know, and it's a little bit easier to forgive some of those things because you just, you realize that she's going through her own shit, you know? And, and I don't know. I don't, does that make sense? Am I saying? 
Uh, it does because you know, uh, as as frustrating as it is to not be able to communicate with her and work things out with about the child and um, really get any acknowledgement that I had an involvement in the last seven years of her life. Um, you know, I still look at her as a person that I loved and respected. I look at that part of my life as a growth thing, something that I enjoyed, something that I loved. I care about her as a person. Uh, I'll still always look at her that way. Um, but I also need to move forward as a person. And, you know, like you said, not fall into a pattern mm-hmm. of finding, finding someone else like that. You know, one of the big things for me and what has really manifested in my relationship with Molly was this this sort of idea of it feeling more mutual. Mm-hmm. Um, where, whereas, you know, for me in my history, having spent so much time putting in the effort to try to convince someone to like me, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's much more, it's much, much nicer to be with someone who naturally likes me, who likes who I am, who is providing the support, the kind of support that I need um, and is really in tune with who I am. And I'm able to, to move forward in my life um, because of that. And, I, and, and again, I think it's, um, you know, it, it might not be, I think this has been a great example of everything, but I might not also be the best example of like an average situation because uh, I, I am, like I said, very self-aware. And while, yes, your conversation has been very helpful to me, actually, um, I think there are other people who who um, might have more struggles with that forgiveness aspect. You know, there are a lot of people who get very bitter about their Absolutely. exes. Yeah. Um and it's just not helpful because it actually just hurts that person. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't help us move forward and uh, become better people ourselves, and to you know maintain a positive viewpoint of something that was so good for us uh, at some points in our lives. You know, like like you asked, like how good was the relationship for how long? And I felt like there were plenty of moments within the entire seven years where it felt good, even even within the last two years where it was especially difficult there were still moments within that that were great and we enjoyed each other. And uh, I'm grateful for those things. I mean, those are memories that I will cherish for the rest of my life. Uh, You know, my wedding day was still one of the best days of my life. I still look at those things as positives. I'm looking at the child that we're going to have as a positive, you know, despite it being going to be a very difficult situation, um, you know, legally and emotionally, it's something that is like a blessing amidst the chaos. Uh, and, um, you know, what I've suggested to people is to just try to remain positive. I mean, be realistic and look at the difficulties in life, but, um, you can't ignore your past as something that was completely bad or didn't happen at all. Um, so this has been a fantastic (laughs) conversation, something, um, Something I, I would love to keep talking to you more. So this this is some good stuff. And I, I suggest um, anyone who is going through this sort of thing to reach out to you. Um, what is, where's the best place that anyone can get a hold um, of you? So I'm on Facebook, but um, that's probably primarily where um, you can find me, Passion Plus Action. That'll get you to my business page. It's Passion Plus Action, all spelled out that way, spaces in between. And you can find my um, profile. It's all public. 
and uh okay. but yeah and I, and I just I'm so like it's hard because I'm so at the point where I'm like well, have you tried this what about this and I want to like <laughs> I want to talk to you about so many things so yeah we'll definitely have to do this again yeah, I think we can do a follow-up, um, not even just about my spot stuff in particular. I mean, I'm more happy, more than happy to keep talking about my stuff, but um, there, I think there are plenty of little topics within what oh, we yeah. discussed, um, particularly with how people react to things. Absolutely. You know, uh, especially in my situation with the child, a lot of people have very strong opinions about children and how you should, quote-unquote, fight for it. And you know, what you should be doing. I get, you know, especially with my situation being from Philly, everyone from Philly is very bold and they're just like, Oh, what the fuck, Christian, why aren't you fighting for your kid? And I'm like, what the fuck? Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm trying to figure this stuff out, but like, you know, not everyone has the full picture, you know, like we've been able to, to, to ascertain about, you know, my wife and the fear of Mm -hmm. abandonment and the way that she handles things. It's not an easy way to communicate. It's not an easy way to figure out what to do next. Uh, so, and, and how to deal with, you know, those reactions that people have, those generic reactions, the give it time, the fight for it, the, the have, you had, have you tried everything, you know, sort of, sort of generalized comments. I think that's stuff that um, I, think, I think in a few weeks' time we can get together again and uh, talk more about that stuff. I think it'll awesome, be interesting. Man. I look forward to hearing your um... – yeah, how everything works out. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be okay, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you know, and it's it's up to us to continue to make Absolutely. it awesome. Yeah. So, so, Carrie, it's been a fantastic it's conversation. Been- I do suggest... I do suggest that you guys go to Carrie's Facebook page. She drops a lot of rad nuggets of information. I haven't known, I haven't known Carrie for very long, but she's a rad person to just follow and to talk to. And... Um, particularly your last two posts about how to show affection Mm. from men to women. women I think those are really great as it pertains to like uh, um, the, the different ways of showing affection. Um, I I think those are great. So go to her Facebook page, check that out, like comments and all that good thing, all that good stuff. So um, thanks again, Carrie, for your talking to me and uh, we'll do this. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to C-Note FM. I hope it makes you want to take over the world or go, I don't know, flip a car or something positive like that. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and give it a good rating and all that good stuff and share with your friends and uh, let me know how you felt about it. Uh, Go to HiMyNameIsChristian.com to find out more about me and what I do. And uh, I'll talk to you and see you next time.